Blog Talk Radio. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. The first reports say that President Kennedy has been seriously wounded by this shooting. It is a big idea. A new world order. It was almost as if it were a planned implosion. It just pancaked. Either you are with us, or you are with the terrorists. A lot of gun owners would agree that AK-47s belong in the hands of soldiers, not in the hands of criminals. recommended her. I've been trying to get her on the podcast for quite some time now. Her name is Cindy Prizio, so I'm going to check the board here now. And if she's on the – got like 13 different phone numbers that I got called in right now. So if you could just press 1 
Cindy, if you are there on the board right now, I'd appreciate it, and then I'll connect you. Uh, just press 1 on your phone if you are available. All right. Let's see. Okay, there she is. Okay, good. All right, so I, got about 15, I have about 15 numbers. Everyone else, you just have to wait until we're done, um, and maybe you have some questions for her or maybe you're friends of hers, I don't know, or, or people that I've told about the show here tonight. So let me connect Cindy. You'll hear, Cindy, are you there? Hi, how are you? Yep. I'm doing Cindy all right. If you can, can you just introduce yourself to, I'd like you to just introduce yourself to my audience and just tell me about who you are, what you do, what you're involved with in, in the state of Connecticut. Yes, happy to. But before I do that, um, I did invite my colleague on, uh, David. Okay. And so is he allowed to press one as well? Uh, yeah, yeah, he can press one, too, yep. and I'll, I'll, I'll patch him through with both of you, so you both can feed off of each other and me. How's that? <laughs> Perfect. All right. Perfect. Uh, yep, there he goes. I see, I, see him, I see his number. Okay, 860. Go ahead. I'm going to unmute his phone. There you go. So, okay, he's, he's live, too. David, go ahead. Okay, okay well, so uh, my I'll... name... Okay, go ahead, David. Go ahead. I know this is what go. Well, just as a quick, just as a quick <laughs> intro. My name is David Walsh. I actually do the legislative coordination work with with OSJ, so I work with Cindy quite a bit. Okay, great, great, Cindy. It's your turn, and go ahead, talk away. You got a big audience here tonight. I got a lot of people. We're more of like a national, uh, worldwide audience. I've got about twenty six thousand people that download the show and listen to it live. And then whoever downloads and listens to it in the archive, I'll send you a link to the show, and you can forward it to your friends uh, if you'd like. But uh, and then maybe people maybe want to call in and ask you some questions, maybe perhaps I don't know. I got a lot of people from Connecticut. I see a lot of Connecticut Connecticut numbers tonight, so a lot of two hundred three numbers. So, but Cindy, go ahead. I'm going to give you the floor. Okay. Um, well, my name is Cindy Prithio. Um We founded a nonprofit, a 501c3, in 2015 or 16, and we called it One Standard of Justice. And uh, our, our community are those that have been convicted, arrested or convicted of a sexual offense, um, and their families. And so, unfortunately, because of the amount of harm being done, uh, throughout the, the, you know, the the pre um, pre the preconceived what, what notion like, of oh, of what that is. Yeah, a lot of people already they're going to get to say, oh wow, well, a sex crime automatically you're you're an animal. You need to be put in jail for the rest of your life, and they not even knowing the facts of the case or what has happened because a lot of people are wrongly convicted also. Yes, they're wrongly convicted or they're convicted of uh, behaviors that aren't quite what, what our, our heads imagine. Um, and that's one of the problems, right? Um, we've gotten certainly yeah. really po- post, beginning in the 90s, right? We started with the super predator and the post-carceral, um, uh, you know, punishment has just steadily increased. So we've got guys from the 90s um, who might have gotten, or 80s even, who got, you know, maybe six months in prison or no months in prison and three to five years probation. Um, And today you would get, you know, there's mandatory minimums. And then on top of that, you are given uh, 10 years, up to 35 years on probation. 
and then you're given 10 years or lifetime on the registry. And so while everyone thinks like when I first got into the state that we were cheerleaders, rah, 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 for sexual harm and sexual crime, I mean, quite frankly, um, we're advocates for all people. Um, You know, society is doing a huge amount of damage stigmatizing uh, people on both sides of the coin, whether you're a victim or what we'd like to say, we don't like labels, a person who was harmed, or if you were a person who did the harm. Um, One of society's stigmas is to the person who was harmed. Um, Oh, she or he can never get over this. You'd be better off dead. And that's totally untrue. Um, and then people who who did the harm, they're the other or the monster or they're, you know, and we forget these are our mothers and fathers, brothers, sisters, uncles, nephews, our friends. Uh, you know, we, we tend to, sh- sh- you know, um, shy away from them. Um, we've yep. met so many people. And uh, one of the first questions I ask when I get on the phone with somebody is who is in your life? And I want to hear that that person has a partner or that person has family or that person is good friends because this is a hard road to hoe with no support. And, you know, oh, that's the carceral thing, right? Like everyone should have yeah. pro-social support and good jobs or not good jobs. They'll say stable employment and safe housing. But we don't have any of that. And so it's amazing our recidivism rate isn't frightening and high as opposed to, you know, 3% and 5%. So, um, so that's all I've got to and say. And that's amazing. When I heard that, when I talked to somebody about that, they said the recidivism rate for uh, sexual uh, offenders in the system or people that are convicted of sexual-type uh, crimes, that, that, there's, that the percentage rate is between 3 to 5%. That, that, that's, that's amazing. I mean, it's so it's lower than any other crime. <laughs> how is how is that? Why is that? Joe, do you go by Joe or Joseph? Hun? Joe, Joe is fine. Oh, so Joe, you know, here's this is the amazing statistic. When a guy is caught or a woman, because we have women on the registry as well, and you're right, they're they're rightfully and wrongfully, um, but. It, it's one and done. 95, 96% of all people on the registry will never commit another offense. And then you've got a couple of sort of dense ones. You know, I, I, I don't know what to, but not like, you know, pro, like, not real problem child, but, uh, you know, people who are a little dense and maybe they have a second offense or a third offense. Yep. And then you have a fraction of people that are really the people doing the bad behavior, the, the people that are the chronic relapsers, or possibly some people that um, we might think of as, as not able to change. For the most part, 70, 80, 90% of these people are low, are low risk, the same risk as I am and you are, and the harm we're being done, that's being done to them over something that might happen. Here in North Carolina, here in North Carolina, the, the, they have something called indecent liberties with a minor or something like that. And they have, well, the one guy, he was 18 years old, 
and he was now he, now he's labeled a sex offender. Okay, he has to register here with the sheriff's department. And anytime he moves, he has to register. He can't get a job anywhere. He's 18 years old now. Now the, the victim is a 16 year old girl. Now, how many cases do you have like that, for instance, and why does that happen? Why can't we stop that? That's absolutely ridiculous. When I was 18 years old, I dated a 15-year-old girl. I would have been a sex offender if her parents would have had me arrested. I mean, come on. Oh, my gosh. You know, <laughs> my land, I, I moved recently, and my landlady was 14 years old chasing her husband, who was 24 years old at the time. And oh he tried to discourage her because he he is the one that's going to prison if he gets caught. But she chased him. Yeah. She was relentless. They got married, had four kids, uh, lived together for 47 years until he passed on from an illness. And some people would, you know, that's nuts. Who is to say yeah. that woman was a victim? She was happily married. Yeah. And and so here's the thing, and I'll pass it over to David possibly um, to, to expand on this. We are dealing, we dealt with a bill this year, Senate Bill 1194, which I'll have David talk about. But um, people on, this is the group of people, we call them, uh, they were retroactively applied. So there was no public registry. But when the public registry came to Connecticut in 1998, the state clawed back 10 years. So people who had served their sentence and were living their best lives, rebuilding their lives in the community up to 10 years, got a knock on their door or a letter in the mail saying, report to Middletown. Um, You've got to give your DNA and you're going on the registry. And that was their lives changed from that day on, right? Anything they wow. had, chances are they lost. And so what we found is we've got a lot of these guys. We have guys and women who are 14 and 15 years old in that group um, that today wow. are 40 and 41 years old. And then we've got other, um, and we do have the one, uh, the offense, we probably call it something different in the state, but uh, where there was back then uh, sex assault to probably two-year age difference. So if it was um, beyond that, you could be arrested. Um, They changed the law several years ago, and now it's for a sex to um, it, there's a three-year age difference, but it's not enough. The harm we're doing, and I've even heard of police departments begging fathers not to have the kid arrested because his whole life will be turned upside down. And, and, and there will be all his potential is robbed. So, yep. David, do you want to yeah. talk about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the, the, the couple of things I'd like to, to, to throw in there, too, is that really a lot of this building of uh, the registry that took place in the beginning years, uh, this took place outside of a legal process. It was purely a legislative process. This is something where uh, the legislators said, okay, we need to put a larger group of people into the registry and then just automatically by the label of the crime uh, – just automatically did it without any type of hearing or anything. And that was made possible because of the myths. One of you mentioned earlier, the frightening and high, you know, 80% recidivism, which turned out to be completely false. 
And so we had an, you know, basically you have a group of people who were, had their constitutional rights uh, trampled uh, by this process. And, and when we pursued this uh, through the legislature, legislature uh, really a large, we got a lot of sympathy and a lot of understanding of uh, the problems that were, that came about by instituting the registry in that way. And so we actually had a surprising amount of support and are very hopeful that we'll be able to uh, get relief for those that are on the registry uh, in that fashion. What about what about the retaliation? I, I hear of horror stories, and I know of one right uh, uh, through a friend of mine also in the state of Connecticut. Actually, uh, they're on probation. He said for all these years afterwards that one guy's got uh, oh I forget I think ten years uh, special probation, and the probation mm-hmm. officer is just out can't stand him because of his crime because he's labeled a sex offender. And, I mean, we had him wearing an ankle bracelet now, uh, violated his probation because she found a Lego in his house. Uh, he can't go to church because there may be children there. He can't go, he can't, he can't go anywhere, uh, to, uh, anywhere where there's children. Um, he can't, um, which his crime has nothing to do with children. Um, and right now he's, he's looking at violation of probation. He's going to court. Uh, his bond was uh, like $50,000 <laughs> for violation of probation. Didn't even commit a new offense. These are technical violations. I mean, how many cases do you see of that, and what can be done to stop this and this stigma or the, or the probation officers that are out there like they have a policy to violate these guys, that did not give them a chance to harass them and be, you know, follow them around and watch them. And, I mean, who the hell wants to live like that? I mean, I, I, I'd be like, just lock me up to hell with it. I mean, I can, who would want to live that way? I mean, thank God he's got a job, two friends, and he's able to find employment, he's able to buy a house, this guy, getting his life back together, and, and this probation officer just is wicked. I mean, what can, you, what can be done? Yeah. One oh, thing I'd I, like to... I, I, oops, is that David or... No, that was me. David, uh, yes. I, I mean, the one thing I want to say, and then Cindy, take it, but I mean, the other thing I want to mention, too, is it's not just the individual who's on the registry themselves their impact to their entire family, their children, their wives. Uh, this is something where children are bullied. There's vandalism against people's properties, uh, not to mention the, the, the lack of opportunities for decent housing, decent jobs. Uh, many of these individuals are getting into their senior years and are having a hard time getting medical care. Uh, we had a case uh, I'm trying to remember which state it was, where there was an individual who was on the registry who could not get treated for cancer because he would not be admitted to a long-term care facility and subsequently died oh my because goodness. of that. Wow. Okay, so, so this indeed can be a death sentence for some individuals. This is, this is a very serious thing and goes well beyond uh, anything that would be thought to be protective of a community. Go ahead, Cindy. Now, go ahead, Cindy. Go ahead, Cindy. I got another question, but go ahead. I want to talk about your question, though, about what can be done about it. Um, One standard of justice, uh, we don't have, we don't employ lawyers. I am not a lawyer. We don't give legal advice. But what I found um, is over the years, people are reluctant to fight for themselves. And to stand up, and and I get it. They give up. Yes, they give up exactly. And that was this individual. We he has a good support group, and we were like, no, you just fight it. And here I am down here in North Carolina, running for public office, as a house, a state legislator, 
uh, in District 65. And I was like, listen, I'll try to make some calls up there for you. I mean, get get your probation transfer. Get away from this probation officer. To, you know, but you can't. They don't want to hear it. They have like like we talked about this stigma. He he's a he's a, a molester. He's a ripper. He's this. He's that. And, and it, no, he's not. And, and and he he guy just bought a house. Full time work doesn't like, keeps to himself. He lives a lonely life because he has to because he has to walk around with a bracelet on his ankle. I mean, it's just terrible. It's, like you said, people. I'm wondering how many people have committed suicide. How many? I mean, or, or like you said, just just give up and and just say throw their hands up and just go back to just go back to prison. I mean, what can they do? I mean, if they, without is there any other organizations out there that fight for this or or stand up for these uh, people with this type of class of offense? Well, we're uh, so so. Let me just first one second the. We may be in a position where we're going to fight for something that may be happening to one of, of the people in my inner circle. Um, and at some point, you have to go for it because I really wonder if people stood up for themselves back in 1998 when this registry became uh, or came into existence would it have continued to go as far as it did, right? One million people. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, wow, that's a great point. Um, so it's, it, it's very few will. I probably had the number of people on one hand that fought. Um, but some people have won. And so you, um, I think things have changed Certainly since I've been in, um, things have gotten a little bit um, more progressive. I Progressive is a bad word, but in this case, right, what's progressive? But I think people are, there's more understanding by judges. I do believe there's more understanding by prosecutors and public defenders. But the problem is when we continue to shame people, right? And they're shamed from the moment that arrest happens and their pictures on the local TV and it's in the, all the print media, all the social media, um, that their lives start to change. And that shame just keeps building. And then they go to prison and they identify as a number as, instead of a person. And they are treated really harshly. Um, by a bunch of judgmental um, other incarcerated people or corrections officers, right? Um, And then they come out and they get on probation or parole. And we have seen some reasonable people. They're not all bad actors, but unfortunately, sometimes entire offices are filled with the cancer of treating them as subhumans calling them names, not allowing them to go visit their relatives in hospitals, right? Uh, or not yeah. to have friends, not to do this or that. And quite frankly, if, it, if you have a good case, I would say this to anybody, at least in Connecticut. I don't know the, the landscape of other states other than from what we hear. But um, you got to fight. You, you, you've got to fight, and I'm, if anybody's listening that's directly involved with that person, call me tomorrow. 
I, I, I'm back to work tomorrow, and I'd love to connect with that person. Um, so when we treat people as the other or we shame them, what we've seen, unfortunately, are a lot of mental health issues. Whether they were there or not, they've been exacerbated, and um, people have such shame. They didn't want to stand with us at the Capitol because they, they were just, people would hang their head, and it's, you have nothing to be ashamed of. Well, you cannot correct the past, but we can correct ourselves today and forward, and we need to live our best lives, and that's by also taking care of ourselves and treating our own yep. persons with respect and dignity. Well, the stigma, the stigma is not just for those types of it's, – it's, you see a change a little bit <clears throat> with the system with just any type of crime. You know, with, with, with people who get out of prison, you know, they, it, this, this just doesn't stem from – I mean, I can't imagine, like I said, with a sexual offense charge, having, having to register in a registry. I mean, those, I mean, those individuals, male and female, just – I mean, that, like I said, it has. To, how can we change this this way of thinking that people do have? I mean, as soon as they hear sex crimes, as soon as they hear of that, you know what? He's a he's a piece of crap rapist, no matter what. You know, you hear that, and and how can we change that type of behavior? Where look, this is isn't America the land of second chances? Isn't this where we're supposed to be, uh, be uh, forgiving people and allow people? To, I mean, you do your sentence. You know, some people are sentenced to jail time. That's it. You do your time. That's it. I think once you do your time and you finish complete your probation, that's it. You should have no record anymore. That record should be expunged automatically. You know why? Why can't we get state legislators to buy into that uh, type of thinking? Well, I think that um, when you're in a prison, right? There's really a hierarchy inside, and I've I've talked to people who their crime or offense was unknown, right? 25, 30 years ago, we didn't have social media. And so they were able to stay under the radar. And in order to protect themselves, they would beat the crap out of other people with sex convictions, um, you know, with the gang, just to stay hidden, if you will. Um, yeah. Today, you go to prison, one of the first things um, they do with the newcomer is they'll ask, they'll call someone up and say, here's this guy's name, what do you do? And everything's public. Everything is readily available. And so, unfortunately, we get a lot of judgment and stigma from people who have done other offenses, other crimes. And... Um, you know, it, 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 uh, it's sad. So I'll tell you what we did in our state. The first thing we did is we got out everywhere. And I was sort of the ambassador, if you will, um, for the brand. And the brand was people who had a sexual misconduct. And, um, and so now, when we talk about sexual misconduct, and we talk about sexual misconduct, now let's just play. Let me play devil's advocate here, and just uh, like for instance, there, there's a uh, a guy out there. What are we talking about here? Now we're talking about a a, a 30 year old guy who raped a 12 year old little girl. And I mean, what are we talking about here? So we, what do we understand? What 
Because, because people need to understand that whatever, like, for instance, if you're sentenced to 10 years in jail, that's what you got, and then your sentence is what, how many years, uh, for instance, go over to the levels of punishment and how long this has to stay on their record or how long they have to register for as a sex offender. Well, I, I don't like to contrast crime or offense, uh, but there's mandatory okay. minimum a lot of them. So it's one, two, five years. And beyond that, you know, it's at the judge's discretion, depending on the offense. Uh, But quite frankly, um, we believe, we don't support the myth. We don't support the myth. We believe all people can change. We believe that, um, you know, that these are one-time offenders, right? And we believe, we know that it's untrue that each person has 100 victims. That's a bunch of hogwash, quite frankly. And so um, I am different than when I was 19. I've done some really bad things in my life that I'm not proud of. How can you compare? We've all hurt people. So, you know, when well, you Well, well the thing of it is, the reason why I bring that up is because now we have this movie out with this attract children trafficking that just came out with this movie. And so everybody, I'm sure now, everybody now, they're starting, oh, those guys, whoever traffics children and, the, and, and the, the, you know, what, how, that's what the message is I'm getting now. What about child traffickers? Shouldn't they go to jail for the rest of their life? And, you know, explain the difference between that and, 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 and the things that you're involved with. I don't know if anyone should be, you're asking the wrong person if somebody should go to prison for the rest of their lives. Uh, exactly. Probably <laughs> the wrong person there. But what I feel is that um, if, if um, you believe you can change, then how can I judge that somebody else can't change? And when it comes to offending against a child, all right, I mean, we're America's a big freaking country, right? How many millions of people are here? If I offend against yep. a child, I could have been violated by a family member, and therefore it's intergenerational. And until somebody right. stops the cycle, it could just keep going on forever. Oh, you know, uh, there's a behavior on pattern that that that's handed down, or that that, for instance, the, the victim sometimes becomes the offender, like you were talking about earlier, and and this is the type of uh, stigma that we have to stop because there's no assistance, there's no help out there for anybody. They're ashamed. And oh. then the um, there's a big statistic, and it goes from probably forty upwards to seventy percent of all child sexual offense is done by other children. So are we going to send children to jail for the rest of their lives when it's restored wow. and rehabilitated? Yeah. I mean, we're, wow. you know, we're not already with incarceration. If somebody would ever look at the sex offense uh, industrial complex, in Connecticut, man, we're employing a lot of people because of our community. Yeah, yeah the, the thing is, like, I, I believe that, the, you know, the focus is completely on the wrong things in terms of this animus that comes about, this, the, the emphasis on, on punishment, because people feel helpless and they don't know what to do about something they're very frightened of. And the facts are exactly. that there are exactly. many ways you can prevent sexual abuse. 
there are, there are demonstrated ways that you can successfully stop the next crime from happening. And if people spent even a quarter of the energy funding, et cetera, on that type of prevention, we'd actually save a lot of trauma in our society. Uh, but unfortunately, I think people have been funneled towards these, you know, uh, you know this retribution way of, of perceiving it. And it, it can be emotionally appealing, but it doesn't do anything to protect people who would end up being victimized. And so we need to turn that around. And I think if we do start coming up and promoting ways to actually stop these offenses from happening, people can maybe start moving away from that anger and that, that, that fear. Yeah. And, and, and let me give an example here. As, as I know, as two of my friends right now are on the Connecticut Sex uh, Registry, I have one gentleman, his crime goes back to the 1980s, okay? He has not, he has not committed. He's been out of prison now for uh, 15 years and is doing well, married, but he has to register as a sex, 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 sex offender. Uh, uh, where, you know, as he moves, he has to, every, I think it's like every 90 days. Explain the registry. How, do, how does the registry work? Well, Joe, when our bill passes, and our bill will pass, it's a question of time. Um, as one senator said, we just lost our Senate Bill 1194 on a technicality in the House, and your friend would be automatically taken off the registry, by the way. He's one of wow. those retroactively applied people. So yeah, I would yeah. put out shout out yeah. to everyone. Exactly. That, that's the same thing. So, so, you, so the, you lost a bill on a technicality. How, so what? When? What's the process? How do we get that bill back in front of uh, the uh, legislative? Or how, does that have to go all through the process again? It goes back to committee. Explain the legislative process and what what people can do. Obviously, call their state legislator and their state senator. Uh, or in the governor's office, probably uh, to uh, you know sign this legislation. But what's the next step here for for legislation that you're working on uh, to get this passed? I would tell them to call one standard of justice two zero three six eight zero zero five six seven or send us an email because as a community. We have a lot of things we can do, and we're already starting our strategy. The next session is in February, but um, we're working already because we will, our campaign is called Paid in Full, and we will be reintroducing the same bill. Uh, we might actually add on and expand it a little, um, but the same bill, the same language, which was totally accepted this year. Uh, will go forward. But up until that period in February, when the session starts, we have to set up meetings um, so that people meet their local legislators. We have to do letter writing. Um, we have to do a lot of work. That's all I can say. And so if people would tune in to us and be part of the movement, um, and we're working on so many projects right now um, that require money. Um, donations, please, but we've called our <laughs> mantra for 2023. It, yeah, it takes money, yeah, it takes money. People don't understand that. 
something for everyone because we do educational webinars. And some of the top world-renowned preeminent experts in their field um, come on to our webinars. Um, we have to do a lot of educating with legislators with the houses here. Uh, the House has 151, I think, members. It's a lot of people to educate. So, um, wow. and then we need people at the Capitol with us. We need to do meetings with groups and a legislator. Um, and we need people at the Capitol showing the presence for OSJ's paid in full campaign. Because, you know, when I first got in this, they go, oh, you know, you know, you, yeah, you do good work, but you don't have a constituency. And until you get a constituency, you're really not going to make much progress. Well, now we have a constituency. It may not be as large as we want, but it's growing. And I'm going to ask David to speak a little bit about a pivotal point in our paid in full campaign yeah. with um, Senator Kessel. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that, that was a very key moment. And you see, one of the things that's really challenging about working with this type of topic is that people have very strong stereotypical images in their mind about what individuals are, what they're like that are on the registry, you know, uh, and, and that type of thing. And one of the, in the early part of the campaign this past year, Cindy and I spent a lot of time trying to bring some of these individuals who were on the registry and their families to meet with legislators and to show them that these are human beings. These are, these are your neighbors. These are people who are part of this community. And uh, we had a, a wonderful senator, Senator Kissel, uh, a Republican in Connecticut, uh, who said, okay, fine, I'll, I'll meet with, with a group of you. And he sat down and heard the stories of a number of these different individuals, uh, some individuals on the registry, some of the wives of, of some of these individuals on the registry, and got to hear the struggles that they are going through now 30 years, 30-plus uh, years after their offense was supposedly closed. And you could see a change in him. Uh, you could see that he could actually listen and, and hear the damage that is being done by this public policy. And he ended up becoming a very strong supporter of, uh, of this bill, uh, 1194. Uh, when it came to the Senate, he spoke in its favor, uh, drawing comparisons to things like the Scarlet Letter, um, and felt that it was a real extreme injustice that was done. And what I think is amazing is, you know, he, he came out and he had such empathy for these people. And after the, there was another legislator who did not meet with any of the individuals on the registry, who later said, oh, well, you know, to the press, actually, oh, well, this is not the most sympathetic group of people. Yeah. And that, that really, that agitated me because these are incredibly sympathetic individuals. The labels, the labels are not sympathetic. And if people put down those labels and actually meet with human beings across the table, change can be made. And that's one of the things we'll be doing a lot more this coming year. Um, we're going to be bringing uh, some of these individuals to meet with legislators. We need to talk. We need to get this, this information out in the open. Uh, when Cindy started with OSJ years ago, it was difficult to get anybody to even talk about any of these topics. It was too taboo. And the first thing that needed to be done was to break down those barriers 
and to get people willing to talk about these issues. And now the next step well, is to get them key. to see people. Yeah. That's the key, yeah, talking about these issues. And, well, and, and, and can, can these, these offenders be rehabilitated? You know, uh, that's another thing. It's because, like you said, everybody, get, can, everybody can change. Everybody can change. That's common sense. So if we have that, that closed-mindedness about us, but see, then you have the victims. Or do you ever come into, like, a backlash from the victims saying, no, you know, that disagree with your organization and say no, uh, uh, any type of opposition? We tend to find that people speak for victims a lot and how they must be offended. Uh, there are, are, are individuals that actually uh, provided supportive testimony for us who were victims of sexual uh, offenses. There, the okay. thing is, is people make assumptions about individuals who've been wronged sexually and tend to only give them, the only lever they have to express or empower themselves tends to be to ask for more, uh, more punishment. That's the only, the only way they get listened to. And so when you provide alternatives, when there's things like, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, different alternative forms of justice that can be provided for those individuals. There's, there are pathways for healing that are out there that I think a lot of individuals who've been harmed could benefit from. So, so is, there, there, is there, in the Department of Corrections, in the Department of Corrections, these people that go to prison for this, this for instance, what type of offender programs are out there to help rehabilitate people? <laughs> Okay, wait, I, I need to answer this first. <laughs> yeah, you take it, Cynthia. This is good. This is a good one. Um, Joe, the vast majority of people, um, I don't want to, like, it could be 50%, maybe 70% of people who are convicted of a sexual crime. If you run that you are a low-risk person, I'm going to tell you what Dr. Carl Hansen would say. He'd say, go live your life. You don't need prison. You don't need treatment. You don't need community supervision. You need to go live a healthy life and, and do the natural growth that you're, you would be doing, the development. So it's a misnomer. The lower risk someone is, the more interventions you give them, you're elevating their risk. Exactly, exactly. So what can you break down? Uh, I've got one person that sent me a message, and now uh, uh, I've got a couple questions here that they're sending me. Um, what, what can you break down, for instance, in, at least in your state or maybe if you know nationally, what's the, what, what is the recidivism rate as far as people with the, these types of offenses? I mean, is there – are they? Are you finding that they're repeat? I mean, what are they going back to prison? Is it are they in that revolving door because there's no treatment program, or is it just they're not reoffending? Well, I can tell you if you listen to our webinars at onestandardofjustice.org/webinars, Dr. Carl Hansen is there, and um, he's there with one of our state senators and uh, one in, uh, multiple ones with Dr. Alyssa Ackerman, who is a restorative justice practitioner, former um, criminologist. And Carl Hansen would just say, these guys just don't reoffend. So in the state of Connecticut, okay. we have five-year studies. 
and uh, they followed the same group of people. And uh, the first one might have been at three point something percent uh, recidivism within the five years. And the second one might have been at 4.2 or 4.5%. And I remember the victim advocate saying, because the higher one was the second study. And she said, well, it, it is higher. And the guy, the, the guy that did the research said, what, by half a person? The numbers are so <laughs> small. So, you know, so numbers can, yeah, you can get numbers to do or say anything you want them to do, uh, depending on your case. But our recidivism in this community is incredibly low. We don't even know. And I think among youthful offenders, it, the last time it was at 2.2%. So Wow, that's, that's hardly nothing. David alluded to this. Um, we follow the John Hopkins uh, Moore Center of Public Health, uh, Elizabeth Letourneau, and um, she has an article that I'm happy if anybody collects materials for me to send out. But basically, there's so little attention to giving, uh, given to prevention. Federally, they're giving mere millions right, a couple million a year to prevention. The carceral system is taking up billions. So we're, how are we ever going to get prevention right when everyone's so keen on post-carceral punishment? That, you know, it yeah. doesn't save one victim, quite frankly. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Well, you know, the Connecticut, for instance, in the state of Connecticut, I'm very familiar with the state of Connecticut, okay? And uh, I actually worked for the government, and I worked inside the state of Connecticut prisons, actually. I worked undercover. I don't know if you know my story or not. But uh, this was in the early 1990s, and back then they had a big gang problem. And it was huge. And they were, I mean, we were talking about prosecutors were on the payroll of the, the Latin Kings. Uh, I mean, it, it was just a very large problem. And I was working for the gang intelligence officers uh, in the state of Connecticut. And uh, I could t- first, I, so I know about inside the prisons what, they're, what they offer. They offer nothing for rehabilitation whatsoever. But I noticed in the, the inmate population that, that you said they get beat up. Uh, these people, they go as soon as they 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 get checked into protective custody. They have protective custody units in there, and if they have a sexual assault offense, automatically they're attacked by the gangs. It's like they're they got a green light on them, you know. And the staff does nothing to protect them sometimes, and until they go to protective custody. Um, how is it today? Because this is now this is you know 30 years ago, and, and now here we are, 2023. How has it, how has the uh, Connecticut Department of Corrections changed as far as the uh, the people, the inmate population, as far as the uh, do they? I mean, when you had a sexual offense, let's put it this way, in 1991, you were going to protective custody. You were not in the general population. Okay, yeah, as soon as they found out that you had a sexual offense, you were getting assaulted, sometimes even murdered. Uh, how is it today? Are you working with any inmates, or you have any cases where that that, that this is happening, or or is there or is there a better situation for them now in there? Um, David, do you want? I, I have a comment, but David, do you want to take that? 
Yeah, I guess, you know, essentially where I'd say things have, have shifted within the, the prison system as I know it in Connecticut is there used to be uh, very de- – there are even more dedicated uh, uh, facilities for individuals who uh, were convicted of sexual offenses. Uh, and what has happened over time is, one, because of the cost and because of the fact they cannot really show uh, really much in the way of benefits because – the recidivism rate is low enough anyway. A lot of the programs have been reduced, and the populations now have started to spread to other facilities. So it is something where it used to, you know, one of the thoughts early on with it was because of concern for the, even for the welfare of those individuals who were convicted of a sexual offense, to isolate them, to put them out uh, into another area. But now it is, it is much more spread out throughout Connecticut, uh, and you will see within prisons, although, you know, I can't give you the stat right now, I would say that, uh, you know, a larger percentage of those who are within uh, the prison system are convicted of a sexual offense. And but what I want to qualify that with is when you say a sexual offense, you are including everything from indecent exposure to, uh, you know, uh, child pornography uh, to, you know, a range of offenses, some violent, some not. Um, and despite that, this whole group tends to be seen, again, as just one type of individual, uh, you know, one type of crime. Uh, and I think because of the, the variation within the group, it's, it's actually proving to be a difficult thing to come up with programs, per se, because there's such a variety of causes and such a variety of, of crimes that you're contending with. Is it, is it before I extend any comments uh, on this, uh, is it more now, what, is it more female problem or male problem? I mean, what are the numbers as far as this goes now, as far as the, uh, the, the people that are charged with these offenses, is, is there, uh, is it more prejudicial against men uh, that are, because uh, we know the stigma, you, the male rapist, uh, the, the male t- child molester, uh, you know, and, they don't, and, and people don't understand that women are charged with this offense too. So are there, I mean, is that, is that, is that offsetting numbers there or are they pretty even? Oh, in terms of men to women? No, women are still very much the minority uh, in terms of who's, for instance, on the, the sex offense registry. Um, and okay. in terms of actually who is, who is committing those crimes, it, does, it is really predominantly male, uh, but uh, there are females as well. And I think that's a growing percentage uh, that we're seeing within the system. And I don't, can't say for sure whether that's because those are being convicted more on par with the male offenses now or if there's actually been an uptick in the, you know, the women who are actually participating gotcha. in that yeah. type of crime. Gotcha. Understood. Cindy, you want to make a comment? Yeah, I'm wondering what I wanted to make a comment about. (laughs) Uh, Oh, so two years ago, well, there were several years in a row, we were all supporting ending solitary confinement. Ah, yes, I wanted to bring that up. Yeah. (laughs) Reducing. Um, so that you need, you cannot be like it used to be. I especially if you were in a gang from the days when you were undercover, they would take a white female as an example. And if there was any affiliate gang affiliation, um, one woman I have in mind spent seven years. I think she was nineteen oh years old in solitary. Wow. Um, and of course, 
we now know about the mental illness um, that is brought on by that kind of isolation. And um, so there are rules, but I know some of the guys are scared because they do want protective custody when they need it. But the um, solitary, you're supposed to go before a panel to make sure every seven days or so. Nobody is supposed to be in solitary confinement for very long. But one of the wow, things that I've heard that I've heard they've done away with that and they've kind of phased it out. But back in let me tell you something. Back in the nineties, they built a, a prison especially for solitary confinement. It was called it was Supermax. It was called Northern. And, uh, and you were locked down there 24 down. days. <laughs> Northern is shut down. Thank God. <laughs> we closed it a couple of years ago. Yeah, we, during COVID, we were busy. There were a lot of car protests and, um, and Northern, you know, Northern was a super mask, but what they were doing is making it into, like, if you had COVID, they were sending patients there and throwing them in a cell. If you were lucky, you got two Tylenol. If you weren't lucky, <laughs> yeah. bad treatment. And so luckily that prison was closed down, and hopefully we'll see some more closures um, yes. as the prison population gets reduced. But you're right. I mean, since I've been on, I haven't counted them, but we have had people murdered in prison. And it's very sad yeah. uh, because, you know, everyone thinks they know, but they don't really know anything. You know, they're, they're, the, they uh, don't, they don't, the they sure don't. And I worked with a lot of gang members and I, I was, in, I, I actually infiltrated a gang actually. <laughs> it's, a, it's a quite unique story. Like I said, I'm, and, uh, they, um, I actually became president of a gang in the state of Connecticut. Uh, I was working for the Department of Corrections and the state, Connecticut State Police. And, uh, uh, you know, yeah, and uh, back, this is back in the early 1990s, mid-1990s, and uh, it was just, it was so out of control. They were running around like Indians in there, and the the level of assault, the staff that was, I was in the 1994 Carl Robinson riot, uh, actually, uh, where, where 75 inmates went to the hospital, two inmates were killed. Uh, the guy that got killed, he only had a, uh, an 18-month sentence was going home in 30 days. Uh, I mean, yeah. and, uh, it was just, uh, yeah, it was terrible. And, and the other guy was, uh, oh, Lord, uh, another short time I forgot. It was two people, one guy from Hartford, another guy from Bridgeport. It was just, it was sad, a sad situation. But uh, death does happen, and people don't know what goes on in there. They don't understand. They don't get it. They don't, uh, you know, and like you said, I've seen a lot of people change. And really the system itself is so broken because it's a warehousing system. And that's what it is. That's all it is. It's a warehousing system. There's no corrections. They call the Department of Corrections. There is zero corrections. Zero. Uh, at least when I was in there. Self-governed. Who is giving them oversight? They're running wild. Yeah. yeah they're, they literally get away with murder. And, you yeah. know, and so now we have a community oversight and, um, committee. Um, on prison uh, corrections and prison conditions, but you know, just like the solitary, right? How we know it's not being implemented correctly. Uh, how do you how do you yeah. manage that? Yeah, 
and people from the outside, once you're inside, people don't understand, once you're inside there, you are cut off from basically the rest of society, and, and nobody knows what happens in there. It's another world. It's another city. It's yeah. another town like B that has to stop. There ha- needs to be an oversight. There needs to be an independent oversight uh, civilian uh, population that, that oversees each and every uh, uh, jail and can monitor what's going on inside these jails. I'm not saying that all the staff is corrupt. There are good staff members, but there is corruption. There are, there's drugs being brought into these institutions. We're working on that. I remember we were working on several staff members that were bringing in drugs at the time. They were gang members, actually. Uh, uh, we had one prison guard that was a, a Latin king. He worked at the Cheshire Correctional Institution. He was allowing inmates to attack other inmates. Uh, it, it, it was insane. It was insane. It, it was a total... Uh, Total uh, travesty and, and, like I said, the name itself, correction, totally uh, 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 misleading. It's more like the Department of Warehousing. People, these guys would be in the segregation unit for years, years and years, locked down, and then they opened up that northern supermax, and it was just there at four-point guys down, strap them down to the, the bed. And if you had a sexual offense, they, these guys were targeted. They were, they, there was a green light on them. I remember staff even allowed beatdowns to happen, and it was just sad. It was just sad. Well, you know, with most agencies you have in your state governments, you tend to have specific measures of success that you you put on the agency. And you say, we expect a certain amount of performance. And I think if you were to go to the Department of Corrections in, in this state or most states and say to them, demonstrate for me your success, the really only way they can do that is to say, well, we haven't had people escape. That that yeah, is their exactly. that is good point good point yeah <laughs> that is all they achieve, and since we are so concerned about recidivism, we are so concerned about repeat crimes. What other agency? What other agency would you expect to actually involve itself or put itself on the line to try to reduce repeat offenses? And so, but they have been able to avoid that, and like you say, it ends up becoming just something which just stores people. Um, and they're now aging, uh, that are getting very sick. Uh, you had during COVID a uh, situation where individuals were basically trapped in, in, a, in a, you know, viral infected building uh, and dying because of it. And, wow. you know, all these issues really need to be looked at. And it, it, it starts with people saying, let's hold our agencies accountable for the dollars they're spending and for the human lives that they are changing. Is it changing lives for the better, or is it changing lives for the worse? And if it's changing lives for the worse, then something fundamentally needs to change. A number of years ago, I had on my on my podcast. I don't know if they're still around or not. I don't know if you heard of them. <clears throat> I had um, on my podcast. It was an, a group actually out of Connecticut. It was called Just Not Just Not Another Number. I think it was not just another number. Did you ever hear of them? Hmm. The, yeah, I this did. was back but about ten years ago. I remember who the players were. And uh, I went and I Googled them, and I, I, they still come up with an address in Waterbury, but no names come up. The number's disconnected, and there's no website. Um, so they fell apart. Wow, that's too bad. Yeah. I, um, I wanted to give you a story, though. I was thinking about it when you talked about the victim advocates. Um, I was at a state meeting. And it was when the Connecticut Sentencing Commission 
was looking at the possibility of uh, moving from an offense-based registry to a risk-based registry. And the retro people that our mutual friend is in the retro group of 800 people, um, they were talking about giving them relief. And I remember a victim advocate said, because those people have been, you know, on the registry since 1998, right? 25 years ago. But then you could add another, up to another 10 years of them being offense-free. And I remember the victim advocate saying, how the heck are we going to get victims to come forward from 20 and 30 years ago when we can't even get them to come forward from two or three years ago? And I think that's very telling, right? Not all victims want the carceral system. The carceral system is really anti-victim. They say they're there for the victim, but it's the state's case, right? And, And there's a certain benefit to keeping victims for any type of crime a victim, as opposed to helping lift them up, making sure they get high-quality services, and they go on to lead, lead healthy, happy adult lives. So I, I, I don't know, but to me that was very eye-opening when I heard her tell that story. Because and, and, we, and is there a victim's advocacy for, for, for anyone that – Oh, how should I pose this question? Somebody just asked me the question. I don't want to ask it the way they're asking it. Um, uh, is there any type of uh, – well, for instance, these people on their set, the registry, once they're placed on this registry and they're off probation or parole and they're off any type of monitoring, uh, uh, how, how – oh, okay, I see what this person is saying. Are, what, what's the registry? How are they monitored when they're on the registry? What is, what is the registry? What is it? Well, that's great. I'll, I'll jump in on this, Cindy, and then just you, you can correct me as, as I'm wrong on this. But, like, you know, essentially all the registry is is, 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 a, is a database that exists on a website that lists individuals with photo, with residence information, age, some information about the crime committed, although that's a very sketchy and inconsistent across the, across the, uh, across the database. And okay. the individuals who are on it are required in Connecticut uh, every uh, three months there needs to be a confirmation made of, of the address that the individual is staying at. So they are sent a, a, sent a letter. And if they do not return that letter within a certain number of days, like I think it's like 10 days from the date of the postmark, they uh, actually can be convicted of a felony offense uh, and put oh, back into prison. Wow. Yeah. And that's not committing another crime. Just because they don't don't get they don't send their letter back in. Correct. Or the letter gets lost. We have many examples of the letter being lost in the mail or the agency itself misplacing the 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 mail uh and individuals still having their jobs ended, uh getting picked up in the middle of the night uh in, when they're with their families, mm-hmm. pulled out of their house and put into prison. Oh my goodness! And how long will they now? Now they're put in the prison. They're charged with offense. How many now? Uh, if there's if say that the letters, how I mean, like we know the justice system is is broken itself. The courts are overwhelmed, and and the true justice doesn't really happen. Cases aren't heard the proper way. 
these guys can go back, get sent back to prison for how long? Because of because of they failed to register. Yeah, I mean, is there a mandatory? Is there a minimum mandatory sentence on that? It is a felony. No. I'm thinking it's yeah. What is what is the There's time? I know three years is a possibility. People, people go away for six months, one year. It used to be much higher than that since I've been around, but I think it's lightened up a bit. Um, and what happens is sometimes you'll get a plea deal where they'll ask you to uh, plead guilty to the felony. And that doesn't wow. really help your future, you know, prospects. Like, we, we don't want people accepting um no, fight it, fight it. Like on, you said, fight it. Yeah, fight it. A lot of times, you know, never give in. Quite frankly, um, I, I I do want to say that um, we you asked who were uh, I think who we work with or other organizations. Uh, <clears throat> yes, correct. Is an affiliate of um, we're the Connecticut State affiliate of NARSOL. And they are National Association for Rational Sexual Offense Laws. Um, and so, uh, have you ever heard of NARSOL? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. And so we have affiliates. Like, we're very big in Florida. Um, you know, the states that have very big registries, right? Florida, 50 to 70,000. Texas. 50 to 70,000, uh, California, huge. Um, so Illinois, huge. Um, so Connecticut, even though based on our per capita, we're, we're as high as they are, we're a small state. So we only have probably, um, they might claim 5,800 to 6,000 people on the registry but we probably can't find about 800 of them because they've moved out really? of state and they're not, uh, they don't have to report to Connecticut. If they're not coming back to Connecticut, then they just go and need to register in their new state. But what happens is okay. so the, the Connecticut registry, just like all the other states are very bloated. You know, we have dead people on it. We have people that moved out of State. So there's no that accuracy. Are... That's what that that's what this person just said. Is the accuracy of this registry is it accurate? Right. So basically, you're telling me it's not. It, it, exactly. It's not really. It's, is there a special unit that monitors this? Basically, that's what this person said. Is there a special assigned unit that handles, like for instance, you see on TV, uh, the uh, this is uh, Law and Order, the Sex Crimes Unit. You know, CSI. You know, they got these special units. So that's what they're asking. You know, is there a special unit that monitors? The, the registry or handles uh, these types of offenses, and do you work with those people? Yes, we try to work with people that get noncompliance letters uh, because okay. we want to support them. If it's the state's mistake, we never want the people to claim it was theirs. Yeah, we, we just don't. And so, you know, but not everyone contacts us, but when they do, and there's a non-compliant situation. Um, we will call the registry together, um, or well, I'll document. Okay, that's great. That's a, that's great. That's so, great. My next my next question, very important. Before I forget, because I don't want to forget this, it's very very important. I'm running for North Carolina House of Representatives here in North Carolina. 
if what type of if I was to work how is there a way that I could work with you or do you work with other states how can I introduce legislation similar to what you're trying to do here in North Carolina well we do have a, a North Carolina affiliate and the president of NARSOL resides in North Carolina as yeah that's what I thought yeah yeah, Paul Dubling is the attorney who represents, he was one of the NARSOL resources, and um, about five years ago, maybe a little longer, uh, six years ago, we asked Paul to uh, file our first lawsuit in federal court to take down a child safety zone, which we ultimately um, won because the town council took a vote and, and everyone felt it was unconstitutional and the town uh, agreed to revoke it. Uh, but Paul Dubling, um, I, I know we were just on the phone last week. He's a good resource as well as Robin Vanderwall. Uh, Vanderwall, sorry. Um, and writing, I think I'm writing this down, actually. I'm actually writing this down while you're just saying these names because I'm going to reach yeah, out to them. I, because so because I, I most likely will be elected in my district, let's put it that way, because the incumbent I don't think is going to run oh, again. And he was the only guy that was up against me. <laughs> yeah, no, they're going to want to know you. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's lots of things that could be done. So uh, Paul Dubling spoke at the NARSOL conference a week or two ago and he really emphasized the work we have to do in the legislature. It used to be that the court, everybody's involved are looking for the next lawsuit, right? But yeah, while you're yeah. doing you must work with legislatively. Uh, you cannot rely on one or the other. You need, you know, we've always learned about three-legged stool advocacy, that you're always educating you're always litigating, and you're always legislating. What about along party lines? Say, is, is it more? Are you more? Are you more friendly party lines? Is, is you get more receptiveness from the Democrats or the Republicans? That's one question. Is this a Republican or Democrat issue? Someone just asked me. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not going to answer that because I learned okay. something this year. And, um, you know, I'm a huge protester and amplifier, and um, I And you're not bi- – yeah, you, you're bipartisan. Okay, okay, gotcha. I, that's, I, that's respectable. I it in terms of trying to understand people that I don't agree with. Like if somebody – the Republicans on the solitary issue said they can't believe that's happening in our prisons. And we had about 20 people from inside prisons. Um, speak at a public hearing over the phone. It, it was during COVID. And I don't, you know, and that kind of attitude is how can you deny it? These are people with yeah. the lived experience. And so, but, but I've decided that it's my opportunity to, you know, I, I, I'm not going to be judgmental. I, I, I'm not. Okay. I, that's what I've decided. Yeah. And um, well, it, and that's what we're trying to change, and that's what we're trying to change, that judgmental, stereotypical uh, type of behavior that people have. And when people say – when I tell people I worked undercover, they say, oh, you were – you were you – were, you were, you were just a rat. I worked for a government agency, you idiot. You know, uh, they, uh, my, the, char- I, the charges were fake. I, I worked undercover inside the prison. I was actually inside the jail as an inmate. 
<laughs> you know, so this is, people don't understand that. They, and then they're blown away when I show you know when I show them the the book that was written about me. Number one, and then the the two murder attempts that I almost suffered on my life in the 1990s, uh, and the level of corruption that was that that I exposed with Richard Blumenthal. Uh, let's see, Lieberman was involved at that time. I mean, it was just so large scale. You wouldn't believe the stories I could tell you off the record. <laughs> well, gee, you'll have to come on our webinar. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, please. So well, I, I, I like, I, you know, I, I like I said, I've rechanged my life. You know, I've changed my life. I, I still am involved with law enforcement. Uh, I'm actually uh, going into the police academy actually uh, here in Greensboro, North Carolina, this month actually. Um, so, and that was my next question. The police, the police departments. You said you had police departments that were begging people to, I mean, you would, you, that, that were begging people not to press charges because it, because they understood this ruins their life. And uh, so, what type is that? Is that you get a, like a, a stereotype of uh, reception from police departments? Because I've, I've first seen fellow cops and people that in the government that have that type of stereotypical attitude towards people with these types of offenses. But then once they get to know the person or they know, they say, hey, you know, this guy I was talking, I was with, you know, he had a, a sex crime back in the 80s. And, wow, really? He's a nice guy, you know. And they don't find, you know, they don't, they don't get, they don't understand. That's the problem. It's lack of education. And when you have no education on a subject, you have ignorance. And ignorance breeds what? You know, all kinds of bad things. Well, based on this year, even though legislators had constituents that they knew for decades in their communities, some of them were going to vote against us. And I, it, it sort of really knocked my socks off because I was thinking, how can they? I mean, why is that so black and white? To them, it's all about what they imagine in their heads, but it's black and white. They don't want to give relief to people, uh, or they don't. They deny data. Heck, we had legislators. David's own senator shunned him, would not speak to us. And wow. so, how do you even open the door a crack, human to human, if they don't even give you two minutes of their time? Yeah. At the same time, at the same time, I would say that the the, the the toughest time I think that the toughest perceptions come on behalf of institutions, not individuals. Okay, if you look within, like, say, you know, um, probation, individuals who are yes. involved in working with individuals on, you know, who've, who've been convicted of, of sexual offenses, who are have done this for a while, and they're a probation officer, oftentimes find themselves not really in agreement with the way things are laid out legally, the way the way the restrictions that are required and so forth. I mean, it, they just don't want to come up against their own institutions to say this is not really working because you know you just don't want to do that when you're you're involved in law enforcement. And exactly. the same thing with legislators. We had we had legislators tell us numerous times, individual legislators, uh, look. Your bill at providing relief to these uh, individuals on the sex offense registry, I think it makes sense. I don't like the registry, but I'm going to vote against that bill because my constituents would kill me. As an individual, 
they felt that it made sense. These are all pretty intelligent people. They've read a lot. They know the facts. But the institution itself is afraid, afraid of what the media might make out of any type of relief that's given, uh, you know, afraid of any, you know, a, 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 an exceptional bad case that might happen that would, it would then reflect badly on them, and just general what their opponent might try to raise at the next election. So I have know, somebody I, in my chat I was, room. I, 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 I just want to cut you off right there real quick. Uh, yeah. I have somebody in my chat room, so I've gotten several messages already uh, that, that they made this comment again. And because of, of the, 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 the media surrounding this latest film that just came out, The Sound of Freedom. And now here we are. We're going to stereotype all individuals that, that, that everyone out there is abducting children and they're raping children. And even so, these people that have this problem – People have to understand something. These people that are, you're not going to win the argument of put them in prison, lock away the key, and that's it. Because all these people are going to be back out in society with us. And wouldn't mm-hmm. you rather have a treatment uh, program or organizations out there that are fixing the behavior that causes this type of, uh, uh, um, would you call it a mental illness or mental behavior? How do you, how do you classify someone that's involved in, um, child pedophilia, for instance, or someone that, or that was raised uh, abused uh, and then became an abuser themselves. Is that would you consider what kind of illness? I mean, how would you classify that? PSM probably it would be a, a pedophilia, or I mean, I I don't know all the diagnoses, but I do know that we over pathologize people and we do make mountains out of molehills. Now, when it comes to sex trafficking, um, about five years ago, we were working on a bill. We opposed it. Connecticut wanted to put our youth on the registry, 7 to 14 years old, of nonviolent offenses. The registry was intended to do the, you know, the Megan Kankas or the Jacob Wetterlings. It was supposed to be a law enforcement tool of only the most serious, heinous, uh, offenses so that if a child was abducted and everybody, they would have a tool ready to go to, to scour the area close to wherever the incident occurred. I do know when we were looking at the numbers from NICMAC, what is it, the National Children, Exploited Children and whatever, uh, John Walsh's organization, that in reality they were claiming Thousands of of children were. Thank you. Um, Thank you for clarifying that. I had a big argument yep, about that. <laughs> yeah, the statistic that year was about sixty-five to eighty. You know, and that why do children leave home? Because they're physically, emotionally, and sexually abused. Because um, yep. you know the parents are addicts, so again, neglect. Um, yep. you, you know, so they're runaways. Um, and the and numbers then, are inflated. The numbers are inflated. Ninety-seven percent yeah. of these children that are supposedly abducted or enslaved are found in America. Ninety. I, I put the number out there. I remember I got to put some numbers out there. Nobody would believe me. It was a big debate on one of these podcast shows, and I was like, uh-uh. I got the numbers right here. All this millions and millions are, 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 are being trafficked, and they, they got these underground tunnels, and there's sex trafficking going on. There's sex. Oh, a bunch of nonsense, okay? <laughs> you know, conspiracy so theory stuff. You, yeah. <laughs> this 
up a few years ago. If I'm a John and I go and I hire a sex worker, right, it is that they, people who do sex work, some of them want to be where they're at. That, that is their profession. But the, the, the difference was that if a person, a consumer, goes to a sex worker and unbeknownst to him, it's usually a he, um, is with somebody under the age 18, that's sex trafficking, right? But you don't know yep. the person's under 18. They wanted to take that person, the consumer, and as a first-time punishment, because it was called sex trafficking, give the person 25 years incarceration. Now, another way to look at that is that that consumer, even if, if the girl was under the age of 18, but he didn't know it, she's living off of the money he's providing. The worst things yep. could have happened. So it's just so nuanced. There is nothing black or white about this. And I do need to say exactly. this, Joe, in case I get off the show and I forget to say it, the registry is a failed public policy. It was intended to prevent future crime and keep our community safer. And that's a bunch of bullshit. So it Thank is you. a failed Thank you public policy, and that's it. If I remember it for nothing. And that's a big thing here and I, that I'm trying to, I'm, I'm going to fight against the, the registry. That's a big thing that uh, I'm at odds with my local sheriff down here. Uh, they they want this registry. It's a failed, it, it's failed. I, you know, I when I first came to North Carolina, I was I dated a girl that was in college, and, and I remember she was on the computer, and she came back out. We were all having dinner at her mom's house, and she came back out, and she goes, do you know, Ma, that how many registered sex offenders there are in the area? You know, and I was like, I said, well, hang on a second here. What are you talking? I said, well, what crimes are? Let's look at their crimes. Really, how many of them are violent rapists that were out raping little children? Guess what? Out of 68, 68 in our area registered, not one. It was all indecent liberties, uh, which means uh, uh, indecent exposure. A guy taking a leak in the woods, uh, something like that. Oh, and, and that's why they're on the registry. Yep. And, Joe, here, how about this? You know, I'm tired of refuting underreporting and, and re-victimization, quite frankly, when this, we're not doing it. So here's yeah. the thing. What about um, when it comes to we have given partners, the majority probably women, but not all, a weapon of mass destruction, whether it be a custody fight over money, over he dumped me and went to a younger woman. They even get, yep. I mean, some people even get their children to say something about the other parent. And I've, I've been exposed to guys, and it's heartbreaking. Happened to me, happened to me, happened to me, 14 years in a relationship, we break up, uh, she gets a restraining order, never put a hand on her, never, uh, now I have a restraining order, domestic violence, guess what, my entire career is on jeopardy, uh, I have to, you know, and thank God it all worked out for the best in the end, 
you know, I put my faith in God on that one. And uh, and guess what? Back we're back together. And uh, but 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 five years ago, I was the monster in the community. You know. <laughs> yeah. Lost yeah. my two kids. I, I had supervised visitation with my kids. For what reason? I'm asking the court why? Why? <laughs> I've done nothing wrong. I had an argument. <laughs> you know? I mean, we had an argument. We weren't getting along. We needed counseling. That's all it, needed. That's all it took. That's all it took to fix the relationship. Instead, it got all blown out of proportion in family court. And, and, and again, lost my children for six months. Devastating. Devastating. I was devastated. And, and then the financial hardship. Oh, thank God I was able to hire a lawyer. Or I can imagine what would have happened to me. You know, I can imagine the people without the financial resources or, or uh, a backing out there. Luckily, I'm, you know, I was a small business owner. We're getting ready to run for public office. And I, you know, like I was attacked. You know, and people saw through the lines. And thank God it worked out for the, you know, for the best in the end. But still, this is how we can smear someone's name and destroy their life. And it's terrible. It's terrible. And it has to stop. It has to. And this registry needs to be abolished. How can we yeah. get this registry in each state abolished? What do you recommend we do other than call our legislators? What can we do in community groups or, or webinars that you're hosting? What else can we do other than, I don't know, is there any other organizations out there other than yours nationally or, or just be involved in our state locally? What's the best tool to get rid of this nonsense? Okay. Connecticut, for anybody listening, we need money. We need money. We're ready to go forward with some big ideas. One of the things, we need to get the legislators, the the mass, critical mass supporting us, and we're on our way there, and we need to get the average citizen on People who are even reasonable and look at this reasonably and more nuanced, they don't understand the amount of harm being done to this group. You know what I mean? Like I've met people yeah. at, at nonprofit fairs and, you know, I, I mean, we're all over the state and they have no idea that uh, people aren't allowed to go to the movies or people aren't allowed to go to the beach. Can you imagine not going to the beach for 10 years? Or, you know, or you're not allowed to, um, you know, they think your restriction is only tied can't go to where church. you live. Can't go to church. Can't go around a school. You know, uh, you, you know we talk about gun-free zones and everything. If you have a, any type of, again, sexual offense or sexual charge in nature, you cannot go within so many feet of a school or you'll be arrested. Imagine that. Imagine that. <clears throat> Imagine if I was arrested when I was 19 years old for dating a 15-year-old girl labeled a sex offender, and I couldn't go anywhere near a school for the rest of, for the rest of my days or how many years it is you're on the registry. Some states, I think, it's a lifetime. That's a bunch of bullshit anyway because Jill Levinson, Dr. Levinson out of Florida, we know it's proven that uh, it, it has to do with social, not geographic, um, you know, what are they, proximity. So it doesn't matter where you live. It's who you know. Yeah. And that's yeah. the prevention yeah. David was talking about. We all have to become not crazy because we don't want to instill fear in our children. We want to start teaching people in our circle just to, to be a little observant and any change behavior. I mean, really, I'm a parent. 
how many times have I been not present for my child? Yeah. Right? Mindfulness. Thank you. Yeah. Like, just attention more. And that's, and I, and I, and that's, I, and that's another – the registry is the key tool that they use also that, that just destroys people's lives. And, and, and so abolishing this registry has to be done. And now, is it just a state registry or is there a national registry? I mean, now, nobody's trying to downplay because I'm getting some messages here in my chat room. Nobody's trying to downplay the fact that, that there is bad things that happen sometimes to people. That, well, crime is a, is a norm of our society. This is a, any open and free society is going to have crime. It's just what I've found out, what I've studied throughout my life and being involved with the correctional institutions, so-called correctional institutions, and being involved with the government and, and the things that I've seen and witnessed firsthand, okay? And I believe me, I've walked and dealt with the worst out there in society. But guess what? Each and every single person can change. Every single person I came in contact with could change. It's a matter of decision-making, your environment, who, what type of surroundings you have, the number of opportunities you have in life, and you just said a key thing, social, your social status in society. Now, a lot of that, and that's where a lot of these gangs were bred out of because they were come from the inner cities and, and, or inside the prisons. That's where they were, were, were born, at least in the state of Connecticut. And, and look at what, look what you have. Instead, if we change that atmosphere to a more positive atmosphere of, of preventative and educational means and, and work on that instead of punishment, imagine what difference yeah. we can make in our society. Huge. Yeah. It, one of the things I would say, too, that, you know, in terms of if you have listeners there that are saying, okay, I am, you know, I, I agree with this somewhat. I really want to try to, to do what I can to dismantle the registry. Uh, what I would really recommend that they do is most states, I believe, have a NARSOL affiliate. Find out who your NARSOL affiliate is within your state. Contact them and see how you can get involved with their efforts to do this. That's what you can do on the institutional level. Then what you can do on the personal level is it's kind of trying to do what you can to defang uh, the, the, the effects that the registry has in your community. Okay, that means like do not support things like the little warning signs that might go up on Halloween at every door that happens to have someone uh, that might be on the registry. Uh, do not support uh, say, uh, if you have an apartment building, do not support someone who would screen your applicants for being strictly just for being on the sex offense registry. Allow people an opportunity to actually have housing and to be an individual. Find out who they are. It's kind of when you buy think, into this yeah, whole thing. Yeah, you know, I agree. I've got a caller here from the state of Connecticut. I recognize the number. He might have, he might have some questions for you. I, I, I I, take, uh, I have to screen my callers, of course, but I, this caller I do know, I recognize the number. I'm going to bring him on, okay? Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, go ahead, area code uh, 377. Excuse me, the last three digits of your number is 377. Go ahead. I know who this is. Yeah, this is John yeah, Ventura. Hello. Hello. Uh, ah. Uh, Joe. Oh, is that Hello. TV? And, uh, is that TV? And, uh, yes. And, uh, Cindy, how are you? Good. How are you? I've, I've missed you at the Capitol. Well, I've been very sick. I uh, went through COVID for 11 days and then got out and had blood clots. And then I had to have a stent. I had a 99% blockage in my carotid arm. And I had a stent put in my neck and one in my shoulder. And then 30 days later, I had a triple bypass. 
Oh my God, sir, I'm so sorry. Well, okay, I've been down. You've been on my heart, and you know I'm still. The church is going in Woodbury, and the uh, uh, prison ministry. There's 38 students now studying for associate's degrees, and others doing, uh, you know, courses, and and so things are still going ahead uh, as forward. Yeah, and I agree with uh, everybody. Thank I think the people. I don't. I don't think. I don't think the people. In, I don't think the people in the state of Connecticut realize the statistics, and I don't think most people around the country that when you get the national statistics on crime, the least of recidivism rate is sex offenders. And uh, when Richard Blumenthal tried to run for governor of this state, Pedro Morales wrote an article with those statistics, and Blumenthal was running on that primarily on that registry. And when the statistics came up and it showed Blumenthal a liar, he lost a lot of votes. But unfortunately, you know, it's it's what the registry does is it causes fear, and and uh, and and it puts it's an emotional, political tool to get to get elected, and uh, and so uh, I might I have a lot of organizations that have contacted me over the last two years and have asked me to get involved. And the problem is is that they're so spread on so many different issues that if you're going to go after the registry, let's get that done first. And then once we accomplish that, let's move on to the next thing. And so because they're so spread out, they're really not accomplishing anything. They're, they're getting hits here and there, and they're, and they're able to network and meet people, uh, such as, you know, we, we have uh, uh, Senator W. up here, who's a great guy, but even in his, in his right, he won't, you know, step out and make a statement. Oh, and he I needs disagree it. with you, Peter. If, if that's from New Haven, are you talking New Haven? Yeah. Oh, no, then you're not up to date with our work. That is like a dead wrong depiction um, of of the work that OSJ has done. We started. No, 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 but you're all I'm talking about um, our senator who has been played a key role in partnering and 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 furthering our movement because he knows this at, at depth level compared to other people. Um, okay. So, uh, David, do you want to add anything? I mean, I know Peter's not calling him out, but uh, that would be a really grave mistake to depict. He's, been, he's done a great job, and, in fact, we'll be meeting with him again this coming week. Okay. We're setting yeah, up that, to run our that, that brings me up. That brings me up to date, and I certainly – appreciate that the other problem that i had uh, uh which you and i'll discuss privately was that some some of the attorneys that were involved with you you may have to remember i had a uh, criminal background before i uh, uh picked up the charge that put me on the registry and uh, i was a bodyguard and chauffeur and i was involved with a lot of people that were on the take and some of some there's some people that uh, um, i know more about than you know about <laughs> just say and and I'm not sure that they and I well, would get along. They may, really. they may, well, you don't, I, they may, I don't know and you don't know. I mean, that that's a hard statement. I can't support well, that statement either. I know a lot. No, what I'm, no, what I'm, I understand okay, what I'm, behind scenes. What, yep. Yeah. And I and I all I'm saying is I might be in conflict of interest with them. It's not that I wouldn't like to sit down with them because my life has changed. And, uh, you know, my whole life is in a whole different direction. And so uh, – you know, there, you, you have some great people on your team, 
And but I would, you know, there's a couple of them, a few of them that I would have to sit down with on a one-to-one. And, well, that's the you know, problem, Peter. To... That's what the problem we were talking about, Peter, is that the, that the the past consensus of people and their attitudes or belief or standard of belief that they have uh, is all over the place. Is that there's people have changed, and 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 that's what we have to do is try to change people's way of thinking about individuals and about their past, and no matter what, or what has happened. And that's why I'm trying to be less judgmental, Joe, and more open-minded about all people. That's just a bigger educational opportunity for me. And we've we've uh, we've started to take a look at the people who brought the registry in in 1998 and the people who, um, what do you call it, um, opposed it in 1998. And somebody who will remain nameless on this show, who I always considered sort of an enemy, not even a friend of me, I'm going to be approaching that person because that's what we have to do. I agree, Jane. I listen. I've heard great things. I've been I've been on some of the webinars that you had uh, Narsol National. I've been on the webinars that you sent me. Well, uh, links. Those are OHA webinars. Yeah. I sat quietly in the back and listened to a lot of that. And uh, I think a lot of it's dealing with victims. And so I just said, you know, well, we're not really solving problems. We're solving interpersonal relationships between victims and offenders. But what, you know, as far as getting onto this registry thing, we really, I think that needs to be, we need a narrow focus on that. Let's burn that. Let's get that out of there. It's got to go. You know, here's a guy like me. I'm standing, I can't even go in front of my window and and iron my clothes with a shirt off because I'm afraid somebody might say I'm doing something wrong. And I shouldn't have to live with that stigma. <clears throat> yeah. Well, one person mentioned in the chat room another comment. And again, this is what we're. That's not true. The statement that. Well, actually, I think she might call in. Actually, he's uh, down in the state of Florida. Uh, made, made some uh, really good questions, but also made a comment about the registry that it don't. You know, that, that if it don't work, she understands that. But, but again, the narrative. The, the narrative being said here is that. The, num- the people have a misconception about the number of crimes that are actually being committed. Everyone thinks that we're ha- we have this big, large problem of, of sexual perversion out there, with and children are being snatched up on every corner, and they're being trafficked underground, and and that your child could be taken at any moment. <laughs> we have to stop this. Well, I I was personally involved in California with a a girl from uh, Japan from Okinawa who was being trafficked and my wife and I rescued her and the FBI were involved and you know and we got her mother over here from Okinawa and I got her in a, a 24-hour emergency passport to get back out of the country but that was, that's one of a couple and I was also involved I, I, if I find the lady's card I'm looking through the cards now I'll give uh, the information that people can contact this lady uh, she's She's the bilateral safety coordinator. Here it is. Bilateral safety coordinator coalition. She's the executive director. Her name is Marissa B. Ugart, G-A-R-T-E. And uh, uh, you can reach her at uh, www.bsccoalition.org. And uh, she's she's in California, and she's involved a lot with – um, you know, rescuing people and that type of thing. If somebody's really interested in learning something about that, uh, she can give that information. Uh, you know, it is it is a problem in our country, and it is, and especially you know, in California along the Mexican border. Um, that's you know, that's uh, well, that's one what of I wanted spots. to bring up. That was my next question to to, to uh, Cindy there. 
Um, and we, we, you know, again, uh, are you? I think I might have already asked this, but are you receiving any type of? Um, I guess you could say. Uh, push back where I know you said in the beginning it was very difficult because people were shut down to the ideas that and and I, you said you're involved with a lot of protests protests and whatnot. Can you give me an example of some of the things that you've been uh, fighting for over the years or just how you've gotten involved with this uh, this this battle? Because really I don't think it'll be I've asked that. You know what how, what started you out in this this battle to fight for and start this uh, this uh, one standard of justice? Um, well, like most of us uh, we're volunteers and most people get involved because we're directly impacted we're either one of the people who are formerly incarcerated or we're a family member and so um i what what i i uh, believed the worst day of my life was uh when somebody i loved was sentenced but I quickly learned that they give punishment retroactively. You know, if, if you can take somebody from a one-year law enforcement-only registry up to lifetime, uh, then that's retroactive punishment. And so I decided that um, something had to change. And so as a innocent um you know, I, I went up to the person I love, went to prison, and two weeks later, I was attending my first state meeting. And um, wow. the only way you can get involved or make a change, rather, the only way to make a change is direct involvement. Uh, you know, Boots on the, uh, ground. the state of Connecticut, from what I understand, is unique in the way they handle public hearings. If the bill gets out of screening, the proposed bill, they have a public hearing. And sometimes, like with vaccines or the anti-vaxxers, that, you know, you get 200 to 500 people showing up at the Capitol or um, physician-assisted dying, right? Another huge one. They've been working on that since 1994, I believe and can't get that bill. And it was a great bill from what I, I read this year. Uh, I, w I was disappointed it didn't get out. Wow. Um, I'm, uh, Cindy, uh, I've, got, I've, got, I've got, just not to not cut you off, I'm sorry, because time permitting, I've got one other caller here that I'm going to let on ask a question if you don't mind, uh, and then uh, we'll have to get to uh, closing uh, uh, comments here, just give everybody closing thoughts and take a few minutes just to, uh, Take a deep breath and uh, talk to the audience and tell them what you, what you know. Again, what your what your deal is, what you want to see done, and how people can get involved, and most importantly, how they can donate and support your organization. Uh, let me uh, take this one caller here, four zero seven. Go ahead. Welcome to the podcast. I I know who this is, and uh, what's your what's your statement or comment or question? Well, it's just it's an interesting discussion because it's it's not, there's no easy answer, and I don't think we truly get to where the um, what the root cause or what co what's causing all this problem to begin with. I mean, when it comes to the registry, anything the government manages, well, we all know what happens there. Um, and so it was an attempt to try to address the problem. But the, the you get to the, the, the basic, and I happen to know people personally, a man whose stepdaughter accused him of 
uh, raping her because she was mad about something he did or whatever else. And I, so I understand there's a lot of false accusations out there. It's one of the probably one of the most difficult things to deal with. But I'm also right now seeing a society, a culture that is totally messing with these kids and their sexuality, the transgendering, the drag queens, the naked men on bikes. and I mean, the, the insanity that is out there right now. Um, there is no easy solution for this. I don't think you can simply say, no, you don't do this or that. It, it's, it's a very, very complicated thing to deal with. But we need to get to what really, how, how many of these kids actually run away and how many of these kids are abducted. It, you know, I, I did see the movie, The, um, the Sound of Freedom, <clears throat> excuse me, based on a true story, how bad it is, how, how widespread. Then I see see and hear these cases where the mother and uh, the, the families in Texas, the mother is dressing her little boy as a girl. The mother, to me, it looks like this is a mother who's a psycho who wants a daughter, and so she's going to make one of her little boys a, a, a girl. He doesn't want to be a girl. He wants to go fishing with dad. But she, she goes and takes him to California. I mean, there's so much insanity of what is going on with our children and sexual abuse and sexuality and everything else. It's not a simple uh, answer, and we've got to get back to the culture. What has caused us to do this to these people one way or the other? What is the lack of faith when we took God out of school? You know, it, it's a very, very difficult thing. I don't I, – well, I can appreciate you're trying to come up with a solution here. I don't know you, that you've come up. I, I don't know. I'm not really sure what the what the right answer is. I'm not sure. Just trying to say that, you know, okay, you, you went to jail for what you did to this little girl or boy, whatever it was, and now you're all cured and never again. And whether you should be allowed to be near a school, I, you know, there, there's so many aspects to it. It's just I don't think it's as simple as what you're making it sound. And that's, again, I've, I've seen some personal cases where I knew – some weird stuff happened like this too. Uh, I don't know. I, I just uh, keep saying, keep praying for the soul of this country because right now we have truly lost our way, and I think this is a good example of it. I don't know if that helps any, but that's uh, I I feel uh, frustrated with the situation and very sad for the children. I um. Uh, I Cindy, you heard that comment. Go ahead. Um, I'm going to say something, and it's going to be very harsh, and it's pretty black and white. But when I meet people, um, and I'm not saying you are, ma'am, from Florida, uh, but people that are just so adamant about um, making something, like over-pathologizing, over we have to call the everything something. Well, a lot of people actually um, go to a sexual offense because they could be in a blackout and they don't know what they're doing. They could be dysregulated because of a bad marriage, or maybe I fell off my motorcycle and I, I got addicted to a prescription drug. Um, there's so many things. It could be poverty, and, and and so it's just another way for us to act out human beings um, because that of of that a bad environment and a bad climate. Uh, there's a movie called Untouchable. Have you seen it? No, I have not. And I, uh, the man, I, I don't know if he's a North Carolina or Virginia man, um, but he said every time his baby sister went into the hospital, his father's penis was in his mouth. Um, there's so many things. And I think things always happened. It's just that now there's so many humans populating and 
but here's what I would say, and it's very harsh. Would you rather have a dead child or a child that was sexually molested? If we can get over, if we can get over the stigma of uh, of what what happens to somebody who is a victim, right? We, we're harming that victim. I re, I remember there's a story about a um a um an article, and the person was talking about a violent rape. And the um, the comments, the people's comments. One gentleman said, "She she'd be better off dead. How do you get over that? You can never overcome that." And so a victim of rape wrote, "I am a victim of the same thing, and I'm happy I'm alive." So there's just you know it's just complicated. It's so nuanced. And, and trauma yeah. treatment, that was one of the first things I learned, how effective trauma treatment is for sexual abuse. And the other thing that we're doing, and Joe and I, I, I think, and David had talked about it, how the whole carceral system, whether it be domestic violence or sexual harm, splinters families. They don't bring families together. And that's a mistake. Because even in domestic violence, it's not that the couple may recouple again, although in Joe's case they did. But the point is that normally there's children involved. And we have to learn to be happy, healthy adults and show the children that we put the children first and we have to parent them together. And so if we've got this domestic violence thing going in the schism, how do you do that? And so another, yeah. we're a very big proponent of restorative justice. And there's another webinar on, on, by Marley List and Dr. Alyssa Ackerman, who herself uh, identifies, and she's originally from Florida, as Jill Levinson is, as identifies as a victim of, of um, violence, uh, of a rape. And she is now a restorative justice practitioner. Because and some and that question you asked, Cindy, about that question you asked, uh, rape, 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 or, or death, is is that's the question that a lot of these victims face, and that's a lot of positions we as a society put these people in, where they, where, where, where they, where because they've been assaulted, now they, now they, the stigma that they have is just as bad as what the stigma is with the offender. I mean, we're a judgmental yeah. society, and it has to stop. Yes. And all these triggers that we, the society, do because of our fears and our moral compass and our yuck factor. And I'm going to tell you one more story, and then I'll quit here. I was in a meeting, and it was the anonymous kind, and there was this beautiful girl talking and telling us her story. And she was a chronic relapser, alcohol and drugs. She was now 25 years old and had been sober seven years. But um, she was molested by her grandpa, um, probably beginning 7 to 12 years old. So everybody in the audience gasped. You know, it was like they were just stunned and, and just mortified by what they just heard. And the girl goes, no, 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 no. We're It's Thanksgiving in three weeks. And the entire family, including my grandpa, are sitting down to dinner. And I didn't know how important that 
story would become to me um, years later when I uh, got involved in this. And I would have liked to have talked to her about what process they went as a fa- through together as a family to heal. But it's possible. And in order to lead healthy, happy people and communities, that's what we have to strive for, not the That's right. Amen. Amen. Today. Cindy, Cindy, I've got one other person here who wants to make a quick comment here. Time, we are running low on time here, so but I can get one more person in here real quick. Make your, ask your question or make a comment. 909, go ahead. Uh, yes, hi. This is Suzette calling from California. Um, is the registry uh, just a blanket thing as far as if you get uh, convicted uh, I, that follow under the law that you're a sex offender now that so everybody has to register, or do they have categories of registries, like low-level, you know, serious level as far as where these people are living? Or, or I'll shoot my alarm. Um, anyway, that was my question, because I, <laughs> I, <think that, laughs> I think that the registry should have, if we're going to have one, which we need one for the safety of our children, but, you know, we don't have to fear monger. There should be levels of uh, uh, sex offenders, and those levels, um, the lower levels shouldn't, be reported as far as, um, you know, to the public, but they're still on file just in case. So, so that's my question. can I ask you a question before we answer that? Are you Suzanne? Yes, Suzanne. Is she yes. Okay. So here's my question, and I say this to legislators too. What if I'm right? What if, and it's not only me, but what if my community and world-renowned preeminent scientists, researchers, criminologists say the registry is a failed public policy. It does not keep our children safer, and it does not prevent future crime. If that were true, would you, if you believe that, would you say we need a registry? Well, what I would say is that you can't, you can't predict the future. And people do have problems. People have issues. They may be going through something that, as you say, made them act out, but they had a decision. They made a decision when they chose to act out. And so how are we to know that that may not happen again or may happen again? So that's why I suggested as far as different levels or categories of um, sex offenders. You you have those that have a real problem that are working on rehabilitation, okay? Then you have another level that really, as far as, you know, maybe had a girlfriend that was a year younger than them, you know, somebody, um, their father, whatever, called the police, and so that person now, you know, is convicted of a sex, being a sex offender. And, and it was consensual between the couple, even though she was underage by a year. But, you know, so that would be a low-level um, type thing, if at all. So, you wanna, um, so Suzanne, you want to harness a million people over something they might do. What about all these other, like, you know, we talk all the time. We don't believe, I'm anti-registry. I'm also anti-prison, quite frankly, not the prison we know today. What about, um, you know, how, let's see where I was going with this. So um, you want to registry even though we know 
Like, just say, for example, it's a failed public policy, right? Did you, do you mm-hmm. know that prior to registry, the recidivism rate, decade after decade after decade, pre- and post-registry, is exactly the same? So, okay, so what's the harm of, of keeping an eye on the high, the, the um, high-level um, sex offenders? It would actually reduce that list, that registry, and make it more fair for those that, you know, as a situation I gave or example that I gave to you, um, to live their lives and not have to be stigmatized because that, that list wouldn't be made available to the public because of their situation. But they, I think they need to be examined on a, on a per-case basis rather than making a blanket registry um, and destroy lives. Um, but I also think that the still working on it and able to, you know, be among the public and, and still have urges um, and, as you say, will act out maybe or they did act out on that particular day, we don't know. And what if I'm right and they do act out again? Now, you know, now we've got somebody, a victim that's been injured and traumatized for the rest of their life because we took that chance um, of not, you know, keeping an eye on them or having at least public know, you know, watch your kid or, you know, they don't – I mean, I just don't understand why it has well, to be a blanket I don't registry. think the registry, though – I think the point, though, Suzanne, is the registry wouldn't prevent that anyway. It wouldn't prevent anyone. It's not – unless we have a policeman sleeping under everybody's uh, bed at, at during or walking side by side with them – you know, registering or classifying a group of citizens based upon what they might do because of the mistakes they made years ago. I see your point on the level of offenses, and that's why we have courts, and that's why we have judges, and that's why we have, you know, these, these, these places that to make these judgment calls when they sentence somebody. But once they complete their sentence, this, state, this, this constant of let's keep them in the system in the revolving door system so we can we can get them if we have to. I, I mean, I, how could that – I just don't – that hasn't worked. It's, it's not a if we, we'll policy. get them if we have to. I mean, wouldn't you rather get them if they did do harm to somebody rather than um, not get them? I mean, as far as we can't locate no. this person and he's out no. on the loose or she's out on the loose. Okay. Let All right. That's a good point. Go ahead, Cindy. The next crime – the next sexual harm that's being done as we're on this call is by people we don't know. The ones on the registry, they did their one and done. They're done. They don't reoffend. And so what if we took those billions of dollars and we're harming their children? Their children are getting beaten up in schools. They're depressed. They're being emotionally, they're shunned. What, if what we are the statistics all that on that? Money on registry and put it into prevention. That will help what you're talking about. I think that's about. what she's trying to get at, too, then. I think that's what Cindy's trying to do. It's trying to use the resources that is being wasted on this registry, because it is. It's a waste, failed public policy, and put it towards Ooh. treatment, put it towards programs. If we reduce the list to, to get rid of the low level, then we don't have to worry about that and use that money towards preventative. But what are the statistics on the, on the children that you say are getting beaten up and um, are, you know, ostracized and shamed? That we would, it's anecdotal. Like we, uh, we know from surveys. I know people. I know a 14-year-old girl got beaten up by her friends on the playground because her dad was on the registry. 
so I, I want to go back, though, to the um, – what were you talking about? So new – So you're willing lines. to let all these – these what is it, how many sex offenders that are oh. out there that could be high level um, uh, okay. or that are high I level? Example. You I want them the to – Hang on, Susan. She's going to give you an example. She's going to give me an example. So, okay. Cindy, basically the question is, she, she wants to categorize everybody. She wants to say, Cindy, what she's trying to say is first degree, second degree, third degree. Okay, first degree, right. we don't monitor them. Second degree, we don't monitor them. Well, third degree, we do monitor them. Of the, um, like somebody with, you know, a younger person, when, that's not even a crime. We've got to, like, become more savvy about what is happening with the laws and do our own research. Um, so... You know, if, if I can what jump in really I, quickly. So I wanted to tell you, I was on the phone with a psychologist, I think yesterday or Saturday. Was, oh, was it Saturday? And um, we have about 5,800 people on the registry. And I said about 800 don't even live in the state anymore. So 5,000. So he said to me, well... If we, you know, because we don't want a registry, we don't even want a law enforcement registry. Those people need to go live their lives. That's how we create healthy people. But he said that probably in our state, he said 50 to 100, and he thinks closer to 50 would be people that would have to be on a law enforcement only registry. It were really okay. the fear has taken over common sense. And so I always ask people, if you have children, when do you start sex education, right? It's a huge argument right now between the schools and the parents. Parents don't know how to communicate to their children. I didn't. My parents didn't do it to me. But if we, we need to start with our children when they're in the bathtub, probably between six months and uh, six and 12 months. And if we don't we have to prepare start, them for rape. And, and, and the other thing is that people who commit sexual crimes, maybe a few of them, that, that top one, two or three percent, some of them have urges. But it's not like I'm a vampire and I go and suck somebody's blood and then I've gotten a taste for it and so I keep going. It's not like that at all. We're, we're really misrepresenting it and misunderstanding it. So anyway, I have a yeah, lot of friends. Yeah, I think, I think, Dave, I think the, uh, your, uh, the David, he wanted to jump in there and comment. Go ahead, and then I'll do closing oh, thoughts. Everybody can make their final comments. How's that? Yeah, well, it's fine. Okay. I mean, just, just my two cents on that, I guess. You know, Cindy already mentioned the fact that we have the idea of law enforcement-only registries versus public registries. And I think the concern about publicly-based registries is they decrease the quality of life and they cause harm to those individuals on it. And if you have an individual who has had a history of crime, you are not decreasing the risks with them by actually having them not able to hold a job and not able to have decent housing. And if you put people in situations where they are outside of society, you're actually increasing the risks that society is going to have to deal with because you have a large group of people who now are effectively shut out of society. So the public registry, uh, I think just – and again, that's something that there are studies on. It's not like this is something that's an opinion thing. If you even Google it, 
uh, look at Wikipedia, the subjects on it. Uh, they, they talk about the failures of the registry there. So, you know, it's there. The other concern is once we start putting up those minds and saying, but I want to know about my, you know, the neighbor and, you know, you know, I just need to know because this is important for me. Well, what you're doing now is you're going to start going down a slippery slope where we will have lots of registries. And, and Cindy and I have actually fought legislation in Connecticut for registries of people who've abused animals, for registries for people who've done domestic violence, registries for uh, people who have done elder abuse. Basically, you have a government that is very willing to produce lots of registries for lots of different crimes. And where are you going to draw the line of what crime is serious and what crime is not? You will create a country in which everyone is going to have some sort of letter on their chest about what makes them undesirable to other groups of people in their community. And it's an unhealthy way for society to develop. And so public registries just need to end. And that, that's my two cents on that. Okay, I'm going to get to close. Cindy, I'm going to give you public- the, Cindy, I'm going to give you the last word. Hang on to that. Hang on. I'm going to give you uh, everyone uh, time for me. I'm going to give everyone their closing thoughts or comments right now. Suzette, I'll start with you. Cindy, you'll be last. I'll let you uh, say your piece at the end here. Take as long as you want at the end. Um, but I'll uh, move up the line from the people that I have on the line right now. Suzette, go ahead. I'm going to give you the floor first. Go ahead. Um, the court cases are public, so if anybody wanted to know, as you said, they can do their research, whether online or go to their county courthouse to get that information if it makes them feel safer um, and awareness for their children. Um, another thing is we don't have actual statistics as far as you, you brought in the, the kids and they're being beaten up at school and they're being shamed. We're using that, tugging at the heartstrings to not <laughs> put people who should be at least monitored, you know, yes, they have a life, but they screwed up, you know, and this is what they have to do. But I think that if they are, if they maintain themselves, you know, as far as for five years or whatever, then they can be removed from that registry and they can, you know, live their lives. But because it's a, they are, it was something that triggered them that acted, made them act out. Whatever that trigger was doesn't mean that it won't happen again later down the road. And I'm not saying it will happen tomorrow if they did it today. It could be five years from now, but that trigger is still there. And so, because they hadn't worked it out. And so, yes, they do need treatment, but there are those that are mentally deficient to where that no amount of treatment is going to fix them. And so I think that should be taken into consideration as well. Um, so as far as gun registry is great. I'm glad you're, or I hope you are for gun registry, or not for gun registry. You're against those as well. Any kind of registry um, you mentioned. And by the way, um, I would choose, um, no disrespect whatsoever, but the Wikipedia, when you mention Wikipedia as a source, um, that's not a good source. <laughs> because regular people fill those out and lock people out and everything else. They're not a reliable source. So um, anyway, thank you very much, Joseph. And, um, All right, thank, thank you, everybody. Suzette. Appreciate the phone call. Appreciate the phone call. Uh, closing thoughts. Uh, Four oh seven. You next. Go ahead. You get to go next. You've been there waiting patiently. Thank you for the call tonight, and thank you again, Suzette. Go ahead, there. Four oh seven. Yeah, I, I would truly need several hours to go over this and the, to give it the proper attention it does because it's not as simple, it's not as black and white as what I'm hearing here. Uh, every case is different, and how you would treat that would be different. How you treat the victims would be different. Uh, there's just there's so many aspects, and there's so many ways we as a society, um, to be honest, common sense is a wonderful thing. It's 
it's only common sense, but sense isn't common. When you go out there and look and see the abuse that people do to each other every day, whether it be the sexual abuse or um, emotional abuse in many other ways, there, there's it, it's just not as simple as this. Now, a register, uh, I can a registry. I, I can see that uh, I can definitely see the problems with that one. So I'm not saying that's what the solution is. I'm not saying that's a bad policy doesn't mean you go and come up with more bad policy. Um, I would really need to have a much better understanding of what you think you're going to do here. And you, you can't go and ignore the victims, and you can't go and just act like, well, they only did it one time. Well, they only did it twice. I mean, there's there's just much more to it. There's very much more, and I could not possibly go into it here. And I'm I'm talking about abuse what we even do to senior citizens in these nursing homes. Do you want to talk about abuse? It's just what we do to each other is just very sick. And we need to get back to why are we doing this to each other? What has gone wrong with the human psyche that is okay with abusing people at all different levels? And when you go after the children because they're weak, they're more vulnerable and weaker than what an adult does, this, that's even sicker. That's a, that is a higher, higher crime if you ask me. But it, it's just, it's, it's not a simple answer. And I don't feel like I've gotten a very good answer here on the show tonight. Sorry. All right. Well, maybe you'll get one here before we wrap it up. But I uh, appreciate your comment, though. That's what it's about. We're here to talk about this issue and, and bring it out to the forefront because we're not talking about it across the country. And, and there's victims on, on, on both sides. And that's what we're talking about. And the larger part of the victims are really the people that are on this registry. It's a, it's a shame. I've seen it happen firsthand. I have friends that are on the registry, and, and it's destroyed their lives. But uh, uh, 203, go ahead. Closing thoughts? Peter. Is that me, brother? Yes. Yeah, that's well, you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Here's how effective the registry is. In Connecticut alone, there's over 840 men that are noncompliant and women, noncompliant. They don't even know where they are. 840 on that list. And they tell you, if you go to the list, uh, 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 this, uh, the registry under the state police just shows you that. They're noncompliant. If you had to get one officer to chase everybody down, it's 800 officers. So what's the purpose of this registry? I don't get it. And that what the other lady said is yes. And listen, I'm a Christian. I'm, I pray. I believe she's right. We, we shouldn't have taken... Uh, the Bible out of school. We shouldn't uh, be teaching our children evolution. And, and uh, we taught them we came from slime pits and we die. You know, we're animals and we go back to being animals. And so they're acting like animals because that's what they're taught. And so we've removed the conscious, the God consciousness uh, of morality out of our country. And, you know, it's either back to the Bible or back to the jungle. That's all I have to say. All right. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate it. Uh, 860, go ahead. I know you just talked like that. Any final thoughts here? Area code 860, David, I think it is, right? Oh, did it? Oh, no. I, I actually, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, geez, I got, I got, I got I like 50 calls on my screen here totally loading here. People hanging no, up. That's, <laughs> Go ahead. No, no, that's great. Well, I jumped, jumped in a bit earlier. I guess, you know, first of all, I just want to say thank you for this opportunity to, to actually have, been, have a chance to speak and raise some of these issues. I think this is an important thing to actually have an open discourse because there's a lot of different perspectives and a lot of a lot of valid perspectives and a lot of hurt that's been done uh and and so uh, what i'd say is you know please everyone continue to be critical you know don't buy into the hype and look into the what is actually the effects of some of these uh, some of these laws and how they actually play out and what their effects are on safety because uh as i tell people who get involved with us uh with osj 
In some ways, this is the easiest policy area to get involved in because it is so clearly off the track of where it needs to be, uh, and it's so easy to show that. Uh, but at the same time, there's so much wrapped up in it, and there's so much hurt that's already happened in this country around these issues that it's very difficult to try to come up with a rational solution. So we need everyone's help to kind of pull together to do that. And that's that's. And can you like give that. the call, can you give the listeners your credentials and who you are again, and and just real quick and what you do? Sure. Yeah. Uh, my name is David Walsh. I work with OSJ as their uh, legislative coordinator. I've been working with uh, Connecticut's uh, government for probably about 15 years, uh, and I've worked with nonprofits pretty much my whole life. So uh, I kind of team up with Cindy to work on strategy, communications, things like that. Okay. Well, thank you. And Cindy, before I get to you, let me get my closing thoughts. The prison industrial complex needs to be shut down. I lived it, I've seen it, and, and people know that, and a lot of people on this know, know some of my story. It's a failure, and it's just like the war on drugs. How do you declare war on your own people? It's a, failed, it's a failure. The policies are failures. So we have to ask ourselves hard questions. What are the solutions? Are we going to register people and, re- and label people, and, 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 and like Suzette said, gun registry, she's against that. We should be against any type of real registry. When, you're, when you commit a crime and you make a mistake, like she said, she make, you, you screw up. They screwed up. Okay, everyone screws up in life one way or another, some worse than others. But you have to be accountable for your actions, and we do believe in holding people accountable. When you make a mistake, you will be held accountable. Nobody is denying that. But when you go to court and you're sentenced or whatever it may be, five years, one year, ten years, that's it. The judge didn't say a lifetime of punishment, a lifetime of scrutiny, a lifetime of registry. You know, and, and that's what they're doing. They're, they're labeling these people uh, of certain crimes and, and throughout the country, and it's destroying their lives because we live in a judgmental society that doesn't know how to forgive. We don't know how to give people a second chance. America is the land of second chances. I mean, we, we're kind of hypocritical on that a lot of times throughout various subjects or points. And I understand when you talk about uh, a child being molested or a child being raped or a woman being raped. It's an emotional issue. It's powerful. And, and, a lot of, and a lot of people, it, it takes courage to stand up and address that issue and talk about it. So that's what we're doing. We're trying to talk about these issues and bring them to light. Because if we don't talk about them, they'll stay in darkness, and there'll be victims on both sides. And we don't want any more victims in this country. Enough of us have been victims, whether it be from the government, from each other, what have you. And we have to stop being victims, and we have to be fighters and stand up for what's right and what's truthful. Cindy, go ahead. Over to you. You have to wrap it up. Okay, well, I have nothing profound to say other than um, it's a hard area. Um, I also like having fun uh, because we are beaten down a lot and heartbroken by by what we see and what we hear on both sides of the coin. And, uh, Joe, whatever you said, I'm in full agreement with. Uh, This is not a second-chance society. It's a bogus second-chance society. And I would just like to encourage uh, Florida and California to, um, to try to dig a bit deeper because uh, I'm sorry if you felt this was too simplistic, but we do tend to overcomplicate things and um, can't come up with solutions that way. So um, I hope you will get on our website, onestandardofjustice.org forward slash webinar and look at Dr. Carl Hansen, look at Marley List, and look at Dr. Alyssa Ackerman. And, um, and that's all I've got to say. Joe, thank you so much. You can invite me back again, but I'm only going to talk about pollinators gardening. <laughs> okay. Um, listen, 
I, 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 I would like to give you a call. I would like to talk to you. I, I know I didn't call you before the show. I, was, I should have touched base with you. I kind of put you on the spot right away. But I'd like to probably give you a call uh, when you're free. I know you're very busy. Uh, maybe tomorrow I'll touch base with you just to let you know how the show went. But, yeah, I'd like to have you back in the future. Maybe next time you try to get this legislation pushed, and maybe I could try to help you. And if I'm elected here in North Carolina, we can tackle this issue together, uh, working across state lines and making it more of a, a national conversation, too. Um, uh, where we can address these, they all need to be addressed. That would be great. Joe, invited us back in the fall so we can, because our campaign will be underway. Great, I will. You got my promise on that, and that would be great to have you back. Uh, so thank you so much for coming, and, and uh, it was a great conversation tonight. Everybody, uh, God bless our republic. Take care. And if you want to listen to the show in the archive, go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Joseph Gibson. Cindy, I'll email you a link to the show so you can uh, maybe send it out to some friends or, or maybe use it as an educational tool. Um, but everybody, thank you for uh, uh, listening tonight. We had a full full house tonight. So thank you, and God bless. Take care.